everybody. Welcome to episode 282 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, all that good stuff. And on today's episode, I interview colleague Jeff Stewart. And Jeff is the host of a podcast as well. It's called From Crisis to Connection. He's also a fellow licensed marriage and family therapist. He too has a book on helping people overcome pornography addiction. He does a a tremendous amount of work with couples. He helps them through the complex world of betrayal trauma. And he had me on his show not long ago to talk about helping people navigate their faith journeys and faith transitions where one or both spouses start to pull away from or, or change their relationship with or start to really question their faith or their faith community. And so if you like what you hear with Jeff, I highly recommend that you go over to his podcast from Crisis to Connection and subscribe and find the two-part episode that Jeff and I did where we covered all kinds of things, Fowler stages of faith. I talked about my four pillars of a connected conversation, and we just covered a ton of ground. And if you cannot tell when you start listening to this episode, it's almost, uh, I love the word spooky. It's almost spooky, the similarities that we have, other than the fact that he has a gorgeous head of hair. I have none, and he has just a very wise-looking beard. Mine's, uh, mine's a little bit scruffy. And so he just uh, he speaks the same language as I do, very strength-based with his approach to therapy. And so I just really feel like we hit a stride. And we cover some things today in the world of betrayal and how to rebuild trust that I just think are fascinating. And I kind of want to talk about them right now, but I want you to hear them in the episode. But pay particular attention to this uh, concept or this point where we talk about how people have to go through stuff in order to to change or evolve or to learn new skills. And we wish that that as a therapist, sometimes you want to just say, I wish I could go ahead and sell or create some not so bad version of trauma or crisis that somebody has to go through that then causes them to take a look at themselves or their relationship or how they communicate with their spouse or their kids, or if they really hold themselves accountable, it just doesn't work that way. So you have to kind of go through some things in order to feel at your core, like you need to change or you need to go get help. I think we cover that really well today. And I'm really excited for you to hear that. Jeff also talks about a course that he offers toward the end of the episode that is, uh, it's really phenomenal. It is his trust building boot camp because as you see in the title, we're going to talk about how to rebuild trust. And I'll have a link in the show notes, but if you decide to, to take the course, please use the code virtualcouch15, the number one five, all one word, and you get 15% off of the course. And then while I have you, a couple of really cool things. Yesterday, I did my very first Instagram live. I did a 40 plus minute Instagram live with Allison Carlson, who has been on the virtual couch long ago, and she'll be coming on again soon. Her episode back in the day was called The Greater Your Storm, The Brighter Your Rainbow, and it's still one of the most downloaded episodes on my podcast. But we talked about marriage, and she has a very, very large following in social media, and she put it out there and said, give me your marriage questions, and the questions were really, really amazing, and we covered a lot of questions in 40 minutes. So if you want a free marriage therapy session, find uh, find my Instagram account, uh, which is at Virtual Couch, and the entire interview is in my highlight section. And while you're there, I would really appreciate it if you if you hit the follow button for me or for Allison if you don't follow her as well. And my Magnetic Marriage course is starting up in a couple of weeks. So go to TonyOverbay.com slash Magnetic to find out more. This will be the third round. Preston Pugmire and I, the guy who helped me create it, cannot wait because we have such incredible feedback from the first two rounds. So here we go. And then one more thing, look for the first episode of my podcast, Waking Up to Narcissism, coming later this week. So if you haven't already done so, go find that 
podcast as well. Hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's part of the Virtual Couch Podcast Network. That's a thing now as well. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can go search for Virtual Couch Podcast Network and you'll find the Virtual Couch, Waking Up to Narcissism, and my associate, Nate Christensen, who has just gotten great reviews from the episodes of the Virtual Couch that he's been on. He just released with his wife a podcast called Working Change. And their first episode is up and it's it's amazing. So go subscribe to them all and don't forget to visit Pathback Recovery recovery.com to be part of my online pornography recovery program that is developed into an amazing group of people who participate in the weekly group zoom calls and are making incredible strides being real and learning uh, strength-based ways to stop turning to pornography as a coping mechanism so that is all i have for today i can't wait to hear your feedback to this episode um so here we go let's get to it my interview with jeff stewart come on in take a seat on I have so many things I want to say, just stories to tell about about my guests today. People would ask me if I knew Jeff. I just feel like there was a nice instant connection. I was on Jeff's podcast for not one, but two episodes because we were just vibing so well. So Jeff Stewart, welcome to the virtual couch. Tony, my mo- brother from another mother, man. Just like- no, right? I, I, Honestly. That's why I, I couldn't wait to, to do the joke. I think on your <laughs> podcast where I was saying, when I was looking over your website, we are the same other than you are far more handsome, have a lot more hair. But I mean, we've both written books about pornography, addiction and recovery. We've got podcasts. We've, I guess I maybe that's okay. so crazy. Just same thing. I, when I first started, like same people like, Hey, Tony, I started looking at your stuff and I'm like, wait a second. We almost do the exact same things. This is so dang cool. Like wait, wait. some people might feel threatened by that, but I that's just, what I was going to say. Fantastic, yeah, because I really think there's a cool <laughs> thing there with the the concept of like a scarcity mindset versus a growth or a you know oh, growth yeah. mindset. Because uh, totally. we're both just uh, we're both just trying to change oh, the yeah. world, right, Jeff? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. People are hurting, man. I was going to mention something that then someday this will seem dated. When I was waiting for us to begin, I was looking at my phone to see what the air quality is to see if we're going to watch high school football tonight because there are so many fires in the area that I'm at. And, uh, and I feel like anywhere I talk to someone, there's some sort of natural disaster. How are things in Southern? Yeah. Air quality stinks and definitely have some, yeah, we've got fires in California that are the, the smoke is wafting over here and yeah, it's tough. Usually we have beautiful, clear blue skies here, but it's just hazy. So it's, we don't usually get that kind of weather over here, except in fire season, but and it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate so there's a here. fire season. Hey, help my listeners know a little bit more about you. Give me your background. Tell me, uh, tell me about you, Jeff. I bet I actually am celebrating 25 years of marriage on Monday. Oh, congratulations. My wife, Jody. Thank you. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've got four kids ages 22 to 12. And yeah, I, I went to BYU, studied to be a journalist. And then I ended up oh. at Auburn, Auburn University doing marriage and family therapy. And I've been a marriage. Okay. okay. I got to stop you right there. Little did I know when I'm saying we have all these things. So that was my initial major in college as well was journalism. So that is uh, (laughs) why did, why did you change your major or why did you stop? I didn't change it. I I, okay. mean, I, I graduated with a communications degree and then same, um, same. I did not know this about you. Mine's mass communications. Yeah. Mass communications, communication okay. studies from BYU. And, and then my senior year, I, my wife and I had been married just a few weeks. I just, well, I met Wally Goddard, maybe who, you know, and mm. we lived next door to him and we ended up living with him for two years in their basement. And it was from that experience that I decided I wanted to be a marriage family therapist. We just talked about really? marriages and families and 
all kinds of cool parenting about these fictitious kids we didn't have yet. And yeah. my wife and I would start talking about parenting stuff and it was just so dynamic and interesting. I just thought, I got to do this for a living. This is nuts. People talk about this for a living. Hmm. And so I ended up, this was my senior year. So I ended up changing a few classes around and got what I needed and then ended up getting accepted into Auburn and did my MF, my master's degree in MFT over there, moved to Alabama Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so I've worked now as an MFT since I've been doing therapy with people for 23, 22 years. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions about that that I did not know yeah. about either. First of all, I think I missed the opportunity for a joke of, were you an amazing parent to the fictitious kids? Much better than oh, with the real better. kids? Oh, dang. They're, they're, my wife and I would have actual real arguments about fake children that didn't exist, <laughs> right? <laughs> we, would, we, we would all of a sudden just start discovering kind of all the different things that we had opinions about that you don't know you have opinions about. Yeah. And it was just really funny because at some points we would stop each other and go like, we don't even have children. Why are we even talking about this? Yeah. But it was the collision of our ideas, our values, our backgrounds. But yeah, so interesting, those conversations. No, I love that because it's <laughs> funny. We have kids that are four kids as well, 22 to, or 23 to 17, somewhere around there. I'm, I know I'm in the ballpark and, and things do get a lot different. And we were just commenting a few days ago about, boy, when we were young, we really did feel like this isn't so bad. We've got this uh, whole parenting thing figured out. And I've had a couple of people in my office lately that have said, boy, I wish I could go back there. And because it seems so much easier. And so oh, yeah. I, yeah. Have all the answers, be so confident. I know. Yeah. But, but hey, I, and so, I, yeah. oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. No, I'm so sorry, Jeff. I've got ridiculous follow-up questions. Another one that I have is I didn't realize you've been doing actively doing therapy for so long. And I'm always fascinated by people that come out and they are working as therapists in their early twenties without kids, without they're just now married. And did, what was that experience like for you? Did people respect you? Did they, did they want somebody that had already been through the, been through the, the, the ringer, so to speak? Well, I think the people that were brave enough to say something would say things to me, like I'm old enough to be your mother or uh-huh. stuff like that. But I think overall, like I had really good training from Auburn, great uh-huh. supervisors, great professors. And then my first job out of grad school was at a rural mental health clinic in Arizona. And I worked there, worked there for six years. And so that gave me, you would just call it like street smarts. Like I just worked with so many different kinds of cases, cradle to grave, every issue under the sun, serious mental illness, marriages, parenting, child therapy, everything. And so my, my skill set just really accelerated during that time. It was, I, I just, I felt like at the time that everybody needs to come work in a place like this because it was okay. so good, it exposed me to so many things. And it was there that I learned what I really wanted to do. But yeah, no, it was tough. Like I was trying to do therapy with teenagers when I had a one-year-old or I was trying yeah. to work with these marriages that have been married 30 years and I've been married five years. And so, yes, now that I've been married 25 years, I'm 47 years old. I've got all these two over two decades of experience under my belt. My obviously my confidence is a lot higher now in terms of my ability to not only my training and experience, but also just lived experience. I just am not rattled by as much. Yeah. And I have a lot more confidence that things are gonna work out or there's there's figure ways to figure it out. We can get there from here, right? Like there's just things we can do. I love that, that that confidence that things will work out. I I, I love that because that's going to play a lot into what we're talking about today with trust and boundaries. And yeah, um, let me stay on that vein too. How did you you talk about you started to find the population you wanted to work with. What was that experience like? Or how did you find the population? 
Yeah. So I was working, I was doing so much child therapy. I, I had okay. a play therapy room, the puppets, the whole works. Wow. And, and I, I loved it. But then I noticed that I would go home and not want to play with my own kids because I was so mm. played out. Okay. And I thought, okay, this isn't good. My kids will eventually grow up, but do I love this. Is it really my thing? And what I found myself doing was I was always wanting to meet with the parents. I wanted to get my hands on the marriage. I was yeah. like, let's go up to the headwaters, man. Like these kids obviously may have their own issues and temperaments and challenges, but I knew that there was something systemically going on upstream that I wanted to get my hands on. And so I ended up doing a lot of marriage therapy and billing it under the child's name. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. For so, the insurance or for the, just because I wanted those parents to get a better environment for themselves and their kids. And that's where I was like, okay, I need to do, I need to work with marriages. And I, I registered my business, moved to Utah mm. and started my marriage therapy practice. If anybody was, uh, if this is the first time they're, they're hearing me, the comment, I'm sure the quote would be, uh, if they're following you over here to this podcast, they're going to say, all right, Tony, back off talking about yourself here. But I cannot, I, I had no idea about this part of your career. I started with kid therapy as well. Of that course was my, you did. Tony, uh, like we have the same this is, career. This is insane. And the whole reason I, I didn't, I went away from it was surprisingly because I wanted to deal with the parents because I felt like I was just giving the kid coping skills. Exactly. Where, right. Oh, that's crazy, Jeff. That is. All right. So then you go to Utah and now you're doing more couples at that point. So when I moved to Utah in 2006, I was starting to, I was starting to do some work in my agency in Arizona. I was starting to run into online pornography issues, sexual betrayal issues. And this was in 2006. So the internet had been high speed internet was in homes now at this point in the early 2000s. And you were starting now to see like the tsunami of online sexual betrayal stuff starting to yeah. come into our offices, at least in my office. And this was in a rural community where there's no dirty magazine stores or strip mm. clubs or nothing. This was like rural conservative community, but people were just blowing apart their marriages with all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is definitely a problem. And I need, I don't know what to do. I had training in marriage therapy and some other stuff, but like I just, I didn't have, I wasn't equipped. So I reached out and got some training from the Lifestar Network, from Dan okay. Gray, Todd Olson, those guys. Yeah. And that day ended up saying, hey, we'll give you the, the rights, if you will, or the, the territory for Southern Utah. And I moved out there, moved out to St. Wow. George and opened up uh, a sexual addiction treatment program that I ran for 15 years. Wow. And I recently sold it. And, but, I'm, but I really cut my teeth working with this population here in St. George and Mark Chamberlain brought me on as a co-author for his book a few years later. Kevin Skinner, I just started really connecting with a lot of these great therapists and mentors here in Utah, of these guys that were doing some really great cutting-edge work at the time mm. and are still still doing great work. And it just was I just fell into this community of of professionals and friends that were working with these issues and helping a lot of couples and they have just come in over the years and we've just been able to help so many people with pornography issues, sexual betrayal, infidelity, and then really learning how to put these marriages back together, especially as I went and did uh, my training in emotionally focused couples therapy back in yeah. 2009 with Sue Johnson and her team. And so I just, I just have had the opportunity and have been so fortunate to get great training, great mentors, great thought leaders. And we've just been able to do a lot of good things with these couples that are just looking for help, you know? Yeah. And again, it's, and I think, I don't think I even stress this enough at the beginning of this show. I loved being on your podcast so much. And we talked about some people that are navigating a faith journey 
And we, and then we ended up landing a little bit around the EFT principles or I've got my four pillars of a connected conversation. But so I feel like that is so important to have that framework, but what I feel like I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, and, and I think you've got uh, such good ideas here on, so, you know, let's say we've got this framework to communicate, but how do we, how do we start rebuilding trust? And I feel like that is the biggest thing that you see, especially when those couples come in and they just feel like they are in such crisis. And I don't know, what's that like for you? Where do you go first? What do you do? Yeah, that's the biggest reason why I built my trust building course and spent so much of my, I wanted to really focus in on this because so many couples would come in and they would have a church leader or a loved one or themselves just think, we just need to work on our marriage. We need to go on more dates or, and they're bleeding out. There's been a major betrayal. There's been a discovery. There's been some major infidelity or something. And the couple just is trying to now put back the marriage, but it's like putting back together something that the, the, it's like the pieces don't even fit. It's so shattered. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you just, the, the things don't line up and the couple is in trauma, uh, one or both of them. And it's just very overwhelming. So you can't just start by pushing the marriage in front and trying to work on the marriage. It's another sort of way I've talked about this is that when there's been a secret or a discovery of a secret, it's, there's a big crater blown in the ground. And so the one betrayed partner drops to a different level than the person who's had the information, had the, had the upper hand in a way. And it's really critical for, for marriage therapy to work, for marriage enrichment and these things we like to you know, talk about with strengthening marriages. There's an assumption that the couple is on level ground to one degree or another. Okay. And so there has to be, you have to backfill that crater in. You have to do things to get that, lev- that, that relationship, get that person down in the hole back up to level ground. Because there's been such a huge violation. There's been such a, a power imbalance, a huge shift in the dynamic in the relationship. Mm. So that starts with telling the truth, knowing exactly what's going on, safety, making sure there's healthy boundaries, making sure that, that there's deep accountability from the person who broke the trust, that they're, they're actively serving in a role as trying to help the relationship, okay. help the wounded partner. It's trauma. This is not just hey, I have a bunch of needs, you have needs, let's work on our needs together. It's not like that early on when there's a very traumatic trail like this. So that's where I start. Okay, no, I love it. And I would love to, we could break down each one of those and I'd love to get your thoughts. The part yeah. about telling the truth, gosh, I, and maybe I'd love to get your thoughts too on the whole concept of, I always say no one, when they're going to confess or right after they got caught, let's say either of those situations, they don't say, all right, let's just take a time out before we do say anything, you know, dumb. And, and a lot of times that's where, and right now I'll just say, let's say it's the guy that is the betrayer, just the, we, I, we both work with sure. men or women that have done that, but then they just at times, yeah, they're going to just unload. And then, and tell me if you also see at first where people come into your office and the guy has, he really has wanted to now say, okay, here's what's happened. But he's still working from this place of, and this is where my first pillar of assuming good intentions of that. I still don't want to devastate my wife. So I'm going to tell her some things, but I really would just assume conscious or subconscious, tell her just enough so that she will understand, but then I don't want to tell her more. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, absolutely. And a a lot of, in this case, a lot of guys will, will believe that they're doing this for their wife. But the truth is, I believe is that they're doing it to manage their own shame, their own emotions. Yeah. Their own, they're so overwhelmed because they can't handle the reality of their own story. And so exactly. 
they're oftentimes going to give her the light version. They're going to spotlight just generally the behaviors that are either already been discovered or the ones that they think she can handle. Exactly. Yeah. But where that needs to go is that he needs to have some time with his own story first because he's been lying to himself about it. And before he can ever really do a full inventory disclosure, whatever you want to call it, I call it a formal disclosure. Mm -hmm. Um, Before he can do that, he's got to have some practice telling his story to a therapist, to if he's in a group, just 12-step group or a church leader, he's got to have practice reducing his own shame and internal reactivity around that story before he can pass it over in full truth and humility to his wife. That's, I love the way you put that. I mean, that, because yeah, that's a, that's so good because then when he's trying to share some things, there is that shame. And then I feel like oftentimes then he will, then he will pull back, which I feel like causes the wife Mm -hmm. to just want to know more or, and I'm sure you see this often too, but okay. Now wife has now been hit with this, this uh, trauma, this devastation, and now goes back and starts asking more questions And so if he only gave a little bit of the information to begin with, okay, now, sure. All right. He'll tell a little bit more thinking, okay, I, I, she needs to know a little bit more, but now what are we training her brain is that, okay, he obviously didn't tell me the truth. And the more I dig now I'll get the truth. And then we're starting to create this unhealthy dynamic. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the flow of the information is going the wrong direction. It's coming, it's being pulled out of him versus Mm. flowing out of him. And, and she needs to know that he'll bring her the truth. And so a lot of these guys, again, they're caught up in their own shame. And so that can come, that can come out in different ways. They can withhold and say less information, which is what we're talking about. Right. They can even like fire hose her with all their shame and guilt and tell her way more stuff than she needs to know. There can be, he, he can sometimes collapse into a heap of shame and feel like such a victim and like an awful person. And in some ways, expect her to take care of him. Exactly. Going um, in, yeah. A little bit of right. victim mode there and want her to rescue. Yeah, yeah. There can be all kinds of different ways this will show up. And so telling your story, you would think it would be just straightforward. Just tell the truth, man. It's not that right. simple because you're dealing with a lot of that reactivity and shame inside of them that they have to manage in a healthy way. Otherwise they're going to overwhelm their partner and it's going to delay the trust building. So Jeff, I, it's funny. I always say that what I literally just said to you, that no one is going to say, let me hit pause. Let me go meet with somebody before I even express or, or we try to do this. But I have people listening to my podcast that may be on the verge of saying, all right, I need to deal with this. I do need to confess something to my spouse. So what do you say? Do you say, go see the therapist first? Do you, do you give a, do you go and confess and then say, but before we go any further, we really need to do this the right way. I don't know. I've never asked this question. You're an expert. I mean, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. That is so tricky because you know, what you're asking them to do essentially is schedule a trauma, right? You're basically I know. Saying, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah. okay. So here, I guess a couple scenarios. I, one scenario is where somebody comes into my office and by themselves, and they've never told their partner, they pull me aside and say, hey, I'm basically sitting on this huge secret. I've never told my partner. Will you work with us as a couple or what, what do I do? That I can count on one hand the amount of times that has happened in my career. It's super yeah. rare. And it happened recently, it happened probably a year ago. And I had a, a client come in and she had never told her husband anything about any of this. And so I, I did not, I worked with her for about four or five weeks and we worked on her story. I helped her prepare a disclosure. And then I actually had her go do it with him out in the desert. Like in the, they took a drive. Oh, 
I had her do it out there because I sensed that he would be safe the way she described it. She felt comfortable doing it. And it went really well. He wow. actually, it, it, it worked out fine because I didn't want to double team with her and have him feel double teamed that these two people were going to basically just dump this reality on him. And I didn't have yeah. a relationship with him at all. I didn't know him at all. Wow. So that's a really unique, rare way to yeah. do it. So if, if you're listening to this and you're sitting on a bunch of secrets and you've never told your partner, it's important to go meet with a therapist and figure out what your options are because dumping it on your partner can can cause a ton of unintended trauma. Yeah, This guy, their healing has accelerated because she came in and when she disclosed to him, she was very prepared. I had her totally ready to talk about it from a place of humility. She mm. had all the things worked out. She'd written it all down. It was organized. There was no drama. It was just like heartfelt and humble. And it went better than it could have gone if she had just blown it up. Wow. So that's one example. But the most common one is where somebody comes into my office and there's already been, I would say this is 99% of the time. Yeah. And I just made that number up. But that's basically what I see is the pattern is the couple comes in and there's already been some kind of a discovery. Either he's confessed or she's confessed something, or there's been a discovery totally unintended. Mm. And what we're doing now is I'm having to make a case with them and say, look, do you believe that this is everything? Again, most of the time it's no, I don't trust them. I, I, I discovered this much or they've only told me this much. So what I'll do next is basically say, then we're going to structure formal disclosure because you deserve to hear the truth completely one time versus dragging this out. And you need to have practice sitting with your story and really learning how to yeah. get deep into your heart. Now I'll do this over the course of a couple of meetings, but the vision of it is basically, okay, we're going to have a redo on this and we're going to do it correctly. It's we're going to oh, like that. You came in with your, you came in with your, like your duct tape and bail and wine version of trying to fix this thing up. We're going to take all that apart and we're going to put in some anchors and some bolts and we're going to really lock this thing down so that you don't ever have to go through this process again. Cause otherwise it just becomes like a limp in the marriage for the rest of their life. Yeah. Do I really know everything? Were they fully honest? How do I know? We want to get rid of that and have there be a rock solid assurance that, okay, I know everything. Now we're working on current stuff, not past stuff. Mm, that's brilliant. That is. So then if I go back to that concept of being truthful, of, of telling the truth, how scared do you see people of that? Or I, again, I feel like sometimes when people get this thing off their chest, they want to just go back to now. Can we just go back to the way we uh, were? Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> right? Yeah, telling the, telling the truth is so scary, especially when you're up against losing that secure bond with the other person, mm -hmm. right? Innately, mm -hmm. we just are so... We're just constantly on guard against losing that secure yeah. bond. We just were defenseless. And so we'll do almost anything, including manipulate somebody with lies. Yeah. That's how strong our commitment to security is. A lot of people think, well, they're doing this because they, they don't respect me or care about me or they hate me. And it's no, it's because they don't want to lose you, but it's a terrible re it's a terrible outcome. It's not okay. So yeah, telling the truth is terrifying, but again, part of what, good recovery looks like for a couple is learning how to tell the truth first about the big behaviors mm -hmm. and they, they get practiced through that disclosure process, but then they learn how to tell the truth just about, let's say how they're feeling or what they Absolutely. want or what they need. And those can feel like secrets. I don't dare tell them that I'm lonely. I don't dare tell yeah. them that I want, that I want to have more sexual intimacy. I don't dare tell them that that hurts my feelings. 
And so they start to learn and practice telling the truth so that if they can tell the truth about that stuff down the road, it's less likely they're going to end up having other secrets that are much more consequential. Absolutely. And I feel like, uh, and I say this so often, but I want this, I want to hear more from you today, but uh, we're so afraid of contention that we avoid tension altogether, but that tension is where yeah. the growth can happen. And that, and, but we're, but you nailed it. We're so afraid of any tension because what if, uh, what if they leave? What if, what if this is too much? And, and I feel like, oh, they're closer than they think to where that, that really can be an amazing growth opportunity. We're different. Oh, We're yeah. different people. We are. And I feel like this is where we get this chance to now have a relationship where there's legitimate curiosity because we can be different instead of that fear of like, I don't know if I'm too different, you know, they might leave. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it takes a while to get there. I, yeah. I, I know even just my own 25 year marriage, like the kinds of questions I'm able to ask now and the kinds of security we have. I, I, I wouldn't have had that first five, no. 10 years in. There's no way. And so with couples that are coming out of a betrayal or coming, you know, trying to rebuild tr- safety first, they have to, they have to know that it's not going to keep happening. They have to know that their partner is in deep accountability and remorse. They've heard everything. And then, and then that, that intimacy, that curiosity that you're talking about mm-hmm. being able to tolerate differences and ask for what you need and, and really kind of embrace a lot of disowned feelings and wants and needs and desires, all that stuff, man, that's just good material to work it with is. for the rest of your marriage. That's to me, that's the gold and that, yeah. and the couples that, that avoid that stuff or shove it down, ignore it or shame it or criticize it like that just to me, they're missing out on what marriage was designed for because my individual growth as a man has skyrocketed because of feedback from my own wife about absolutely that they just weren't working for her. And I have to look at myself and, and what I'm bringing and man, it's just like dynamic and rich. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to some trust things. I want to throw a theory out. And as I'm saying this, I might end up have to edit it out because it might go against the very marriage course that I'm trying to pitch. But I've noticed that in, you know, in my mind, it's the people that have had the most success in, in even my marriage course are those that have, they've been through some things. And, and, and I have this vision where I would love to teach every young couple to, we don't let, how about we get to the point where we don't have to go through so much and we learn how to communicate and be vulnerable and deal with tension and we can be different and that sort of thing. But as I've, I almost want to say, as I beta tested some of these principles on, on newlyweds and you kind of, oh, but you know, you need to express this or the assumption of good intentions or, or don't tell them they're wrong or, or questions for comments. They're like, no, it's really not a big deal. And and that's where I I want to say, okay, but, but it's going to, things are eventually going to become a big deal. How about we go ahead and start talking about them now? And I'm finding that it's the old people don't know what they don't know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We got to solve that one. We gotta figure yeah. that one out. Too. <laughs> yeah, I don't I think I think I think it's experiential. And I and I think that we have to, mm. I don't know. I just think that the longer I'd live, the, lo- the longer I do this with clients, my own marriage and stuff like that, I, I just don't want people to be afraid of embracing as much as I don't want people to like be betrayed sexually or some of the sure. things we're talking about. Something's gonna go wrong, right? Somebody's yeah. there's gonna be there's something's gonna go sideways, there's gonna be some hurt somewhere. And I I just want people to know what to do with that when it shows up, whatever that is. And because it's experiential, like, like the gut level, like nervous system instinct response, I have the love, the connection I have with my wife, that's been forged out of a lot of trial, a lot of heartache, disappointments, misunderstandings, even some betrayals that have been really damaging 
around mm-hmm. in our own relationship, things that we had to work through early on that, that were just so hard. And I would never be able to probably get that gut level instinct and those, those kind of that rock solid commitment. And some of these things that I feel today without that. And I don't know that we need to like engineer those conditions for right. couples. They're just, you put two people together, stuff's going to happen, man. It is, it is. And if they've got the framework and they, they, they're going to get through. Okay. So can you talk to me and, and again, full authenticity. And I was gonna say full disclosures. That's in my head. I kept, <laughs> I kept saying it, you know, when we were trading messages about today, I'm like, Jeff, you're the, I want to know, I want to hear you talk boundaries, but then as I would go deep dive more into the material that you provide, you have this trust boot camp, this trust workshop. So, and then when we jumped on before we hit record, I was just saying, do we talk about trust? Do we talk about boundaries? And what are your thoughts on our differences, similarities? Where do we go from here? Oh man, boundaries are, are a lot of people think of boundaries just as for the person that has been betrayed. Like, oh, I need boundaries to protect myself from, from being lied to or being taken advantage of or being abused or whatever. And absolutely, like that's, mm-hmm. that to me is sort of like the, the obvious boundary stuff. But if you think about people that break trust, so they have serious problems with boundaries. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they aren't, a lot of times they're self-neglecting. They're not, they're not even paying attention to their own needs and desires and stuff. And so there's, 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 they're crossing lines there. That could be like not getting enough sleep or not eating correctly, just physical maintenance stuff. Yeah. Or it could even be flirting or other boundaries around other people or poor digital habits or the list of boundaries can go on. That could be like not saying no to stuff or taking yeah. on too much or having terrible work habits or people pleasing. So, so boundaries to me are just the framework of, of how to live a really emotionally and physically and emotionally and spiritually healthy balanced life. I don't, I, I don't think you can separate out boundaries from almost any discussion because that's what keeps us upright. That's what keeps us healthy and functioning. And that's, I believe boundaries are what bring us joy. Yeah, no, I love that. I really do. I, I talk with the Preston Pugmire who helped me create this course. And we talk about the concept of presence and radiance and the, the flowing river and the riverbank or the, the artwork and the picture frame or, and so in that concept of a boundary that we do need something to kind of keep things, what's the right way to put this? So I don't know. So something can be more, there can be more structure to it. I don't know. So it, it, it doesn't just go everywhere. Right. I might edit that. <laughs> I was yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly. Like in terms of, are are you asking like? I, I like the idea of personal boundaries because I feel like when yes. I am just kind of all over the place, and at times where I've said, "Oh, well, that's just my ADD," as I just did right there, or "Well, this is just the way I vibe." But when there's more of that structure in terms of personal boundaries with regard, like you say, to time, self care, saying no to things, basically all the last four or five things you just listed that then I do feel a lot more productive. I feel more connected. And so I really like that idea of, of starting with the personal boundaries. I, I, I really like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, I just know that a lot of, a lot of the heartache and pain when I've put it on other people, like, well, that person's not giving me what I need or this, whatever. Mm-hmm. I have to look very clearly and say like, have I even asked for it? Have yeah. I ever, have I even set any clear expectations? Am I managing even my schedule or my time or my business? Am I, am I, am I showing up in a boundary, healthy, clear way? And when I do, I find that most people adapt and adjust and things go pretty dang well. Yeah. But, but when I'm not boundaried, when I'm just chaotic and all over the place, then man, I just invite so much trouble into my life. 
Hey, can I ask a specific question and, and tell me your thoughts on this? I, I appreciate when you were saying a lot of times we think about the betrayed is the one that then needs to set the boundaries, which I, I totally agree. Yeah. But I have had those times where even when you put the a betrayal trauma structure in place where the person who who the betrayer will kind of be there for the, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be here for you. And I'm going to EFT language, maybe the attachment injury apologies. And I'm going to show you that I'm not going to go anywhere, but then when it continues to go at times, and and I've been trying to work with people to set that boundary to say, man, I, I, I'm here, but I feel like we're starting to get into some really unhealthy territory or unproductive conversations. And I don't know, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? What that boundary looks like for the betrayer? without it feeling like they're just running away from a, a conversation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a really sensitive one. And I, I, t- I do talk about this in the course. Okay. I, I, I get into it specifically around even like, what if the betrayed starts becoming abusive? Right? Yeah, yeah. Like what, if, what if they start okay. becoming verbally abusive or physically abusive in some cases, which I've had people get their nose broken or you know, I've had where people just really get aggressive because they're so hurt. So does, does the betrayer have any right to say, hey, that doesn't work for me, or is that just part of them taking it because right. they because they broke trust, so they should just take whatever's given to them? I I think that obviously in extreme examples like we're dealing with legal things like physical yeah. violence or stuff like that, of course they need to be able to set boundaries and protect themselves. But when it comes to that that line of do I have any rights to express my needs? The the thing is is that I, I believe everybody everybody's feelings are valid, everybody's needs are are totally legitimate. It's a triage thing. It's, it's basically being able to say, if you're deep in your accountability, if you're deep in your, your honesty around the impact you've had, and you're listening to your partner talk about how hurtful it was, that may feel like you're being abused. But the truth is they may just be sharing a lot of like truthful, hurtful things yeah. about the impact you've had on them. And, and for you to bail out of that and say like, well, I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to be talked to that way. Right. That would damage more trust. That's a problem. Yeah. And on the other hand, if, if the betrayed partner is saying things like you effing this and that, and I hate your guts and I don't want to be yeah. like, if, that be, if, if there might be, again, it's like climate versus weather. Like if there's an occasional lightning bolt of that, you, you probably ought to just take it and, and mm. have some compassion. But if it's the climate, if it's like, it's like you've now moved into this, like really tumultuous, verbally attacking kind of aggressive climate that's just like that every single day in and out every conversation then it's important to to basically describe this okay this is a pattern this is this is actually destructive for the betrayed to be i mean they're obviously in so much distress i can't let this continue anymore and i'm not going to do it from a place of self-protection as much as i'm doing it from a place of i'm protecting the relationship i'm protecting Uh, her or him i'm protect like this is just unhealthy so i I think if it's coming from a place of self-preservation in my experience, that's generally coming from avoidance. But if it's coming from a place of this is toxic, this is really damaging, we're not getting anywhere, that's that's gonna land a little differently. Does that make that's sense? That's so good. Oh, Jeff, it makes so yeah. much sense. And so so that's you say that's covered in your in your uh, in your workshop, in your course. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love it. I lo- I know I'm grateful. I'm grateful that 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 is there because I think that will give and I, what I like about when I was even reading about your course, I think sometimes people just want to know that there is hope or there is a plan. Oftentimes, I feel like that's enough to keep somebody engaged in the process. And so I, I like that if anybody's hearing this and they are the betrayer, 
that uh, just to know that, okay, yeah, it's normal for them to feel at times. This is too much. And I, and I love the climate versus weather. I really do. That's so good. Mm -hmm. So how do people start in your opinion? And again, I, I, I want people to take your course because I want them because it's now it sounds like I'm doing the sales pitch for you, but it goes into so much detail and I want people to be able this is such a, a big topic that I think it needs more than 15, 20 minute discussion on a podcast. But in that vein of giving people hope, what do you what do you tell people as far as how to start rebuilding trust? Well, the, the first place. So if, are we talking to the person who broke the trust where they can start? Or the couple? That's a, I think the couple. I would love to know because I think, well, I don't know. You you tell me. Where do you go with that? Well, there's there's kind of two. Like we talk about there's three. Right? There's the, 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 there's two individual recoveries. Yeah. And then there's this couple recovery. Yeah. The couple recovery clearly depends on, it depends on how well those individual recoveries are going. So mm-hmm. if you have one person who's working really hard, so a lot of the times you'll have uh, the betrayed who's super motivated because they're hurting so badly. So they're, yeah. they're motivated and they're, they're coming, they're working and working. And then the, the person who's been unfaithful or betrayed the relationship is being dragged in like that dynamics in terms of where to start, it's going to be hard to do any marriage stuff there. So where we're going to start is we're probably, I'm probably going to start working on help. If both people are coming in, I'm probably going to split them a little bit and mm-hmm. work a lot with just creating some safety and some containment with the betrayed so that they can just get their emotional bearings and get some safety and get some clarity about what's happened to them, what they need. A lot of the times they're in trauma, they're dealing with physical stuff. Sometimes if there's sexual betrayal, we have to make sure that they're safe, even go get STD tests. You know, it, can, it can get really hard to try yeah. and help people feel safe. And, and with the person who broke the trust early on, I'm just, I'm in a lot of ways, it's sort of like, it's kind of like the old 12 step thing. It's like, even just helping them wake up to the fact that they even have a problem. Yeah. yeah. And that's that a lot of the times they, they may come in just wanting to get this over with. And so I'm, what I'm wanting to do is help them settle into the journey, help them settle into the benefits of rebuilding this thing from the ground up. And that's going to come from honesty, mm-hmm. transparency, accountability, ca- caring about, and, and really recognizing that they are a source of comfort to their partner. If they'll do this mm-hmm. work. They're so in touch with the fact that they're a source of pain, but they don't realize that they're actually a huge source of comfort if they'll, if they'll do the work. No, I love it. I do. And I feel like that helps people understand that again, there is a plan or there can be this structure, which Mm -hmm. means there is hope. So I I almost like the, I'm realizing the more I'm asking these questions that they are a bit ambiguous. I, I feel like I'm almost asking what the Huffington Post, seven things to rebuild trust and you'll never believe number four kind of a thing. And I don't know if you have that kind of advice that you even give people, or if, if they're in this kind of a situation, it's so much more than just that really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do have an acronym that I use in the course quite a bit, which is ACT, which is stands for accountability, compassion, and time. Mm-hmm. And and those those principles for the person who broke the trust are critical. That that it all comes back down to if they want to be a safe person, if they want to be a trustworthy person, they have to learn to live in accountability, and not be afraid of that. Okay. And and that's and that's that's going to show up in lots of forms. And I and I tell people all the time, look, there's no expiration date on your accountability. It's not like you can be accountable for the first six months. And then after that, you can't say to your partner, Hey, you can't bring this up anymore because exactly. I already took care of that. Right. It's no, you're accountable. If I betrayed my wife, I remember when I first was married to my wife, like we were married like two weeks 
And I totally hurt her feelings. It involved like my ex-girlfriend. I ran into her on campus, didn't introduce my wife. My wife is sitting right there feeling stupid. It just, the whole thing was such a mess and I was so immature. And to this day, sometimes it'll come up as even as a joke, we'll laugh about it with other people or tell stories. And I'll seriously get back in the car and say to my wife, like, I know we're joking about that, but like, seriously, I'm just so sorry that that happened. That's just like, no, no brand new wife should have to like feel so stupid and humiliated. I'm so sorry. I still feel really badly about that. Mm -hmm. Like that accountability 25 years later is so important. And then, and then the compassion, of course, is just caring deeply about the impact you've had on your partner. And that, that compassion shows up everywhere. It's like, I care about your pain and I will make sure that I am the kind of person that will soothe it, tend to it. That's proximity, closeness, softness, kindness. Like I'm just going to be a source of comfort for you. Mm. And, and then the time thing is it's not only it's going to take a long time, but it's just multiple times that there's, yeah. this is going to be repeated over and over and over again. It's, it's going to be like, yes, we've had this conversation before and we'll, we'll have it again. And this might feel like a broken record, but the repetition is going to help you start to experience me as a consistent, safe person. So that is so good. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that part I love, cause I feel like, and I'm sure you hear this often too, where, well, how, how many times are we going to have to go through this? And uh-huh. it's, it's as many as you need to. And I love what you said so that I can show them that, that I can be there for them. I can be consistent. And, and I love when you see in this scenario, let's say it's the guy again, where they look at it like, oh no, I know what to do with this. I'm grateful that she's expressing this trigger or this hurt because I know what to do with this. And and knowing that the wrong thing is the, look, we've already talked about it. When are you going to get over right. this? Absolutely the wrong thing. And I think there is that fear of, well, what if this goes on forever? And that's where I want to say, okay, what if, but if we're doing the work each time, then we're not going to, we're maybe not going to need to worry about that. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I love it. So the the acronym is wonderful. So that helps a lot too. Yeah. So it, it, any other thoughts there? I feel like I feel like I had an aha moment about five minutes ago where it, it really isn't just these cliches. It's it's being willing to get in there and do the work and admit to the things that you don't know because no one's been through this process until they've been through the process. And so going in there with humility and not going in there with trying to tell their their spouse how they're supposed to experience this trauma or pain. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to not be very good at like acronyms and, and breaking things down into steps in general. It's just not one of my strengths. So I don't, I don't, I don't think like that, but I also don't, I also think that this trust building process doesn't play well to that. Like you were saying, I, I think that what I want them to do is to tune in and settle into, settle into a, a journey of, of being curious and understanding the way that they've impacted their partner it's, because if you start getting into steps of like, well, you do this and this and this and yeah. this happens, it almost it almost kind of creates this environment where the the person who like you're almost kind of creating like a finish line. And I want yes. people to say like, this is not the goal isn't to like get through it. The goal mm-hmm. is to in, integrate this into your story and have this become something that draws you both closer together, so that you feel like you've overcome something together. Yeah, And, and instead of just like, well, we got past that. Let's never talk about it again. I think you're missing a huge opportunity for deep intimacy long-term. It takes years though, for people to really get there. And I want them to settle in for the long journey. And I love the concept of settling in. I love that where, um, when people say, well, okay, but if we're still doing this in a year and and I often want to just stop them and say, we're, we're, 
that's the wrong, that's the entire wrong paradigm totally. to work from. Right. right. It's like, I hope that they still feel like they can come to me and bring something up in a year because I want them to know that we can have these conversations because that's going to mean we can have all kinds of conversations. And, and I feel like that's that part where people don't even understand what that relationship can look like because they didn't see it modeled maybe growing up. And they certainly haven't had to be this honest yeah. and accountable until this happened, which is going back to what I think you and I were talking about. I don't want to create a, something that is going to make this happen. But right. boy, when we, yeah, when we got this opportunity, let's kind of, let's do this. I, right. I want to throw, I want to random train of thought, but I do a lot of my podcasts talking about marriage and I, I've been talking so much lately about interdependent versus codependent. But then, mm-hmm. And so we're interdependent. Then we're and then when you're differentiated where one person ends, the other begins. And, and when we're breaking free from this enmeshment or this codependence, and as we become uh, differentiated, it, it will come with some invalidation. And I think that's where that uncomfortable place is. And, and that's where I feel like, and here's where I'm going with this is I feel like what we're talking about is I will have people sometimes say, well, wait a minute, if I'm my own, if we're interdependent and we're differentiated, then that sure doesn't sound like a marriage. And, and that's where I'm saying, well, you, you don't even know what that looks like because that is safety and that's curiosity. And now we're going through the life, going through our life, being able to say, hey, what do you think about that? And we're processing emotion as, as a couple. And, it, and that is just something that is beautiful, but people don't know what that even looks like until they're there. Do you know totally. what I mean by that? Yeah. 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 It reminds me of that quote, um, and I'll paraphrase it from Anthony DeMello, who, who basically says something like, we don't really love people. We love the idea of people, mm-hmm. right? We love the idea of what we think they should be. And that's, that's that lack of differentiation. That's, yeah. that's basically in my own marriage. Like I, like I, I can honestly say I did not love my wife in a mature love when I first married her at age 22. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of her. I love the idea of a wife and who I thought she was. But as I've gotten to know her, I've had to confront a lot of things that are very different than how I do things. And mm. and, and and that challenge, if, if she were just to kind of like mold into the version of what I thought she should be, I'd be a very unhappy person. And I, and I think she would too. And so, yeah, the richness is in, to me, it's like endless curiosity. If you ever wonder, yes. like a lot of couples are like, well, we have nothing to talk about them all. Oh, but if you're both like really healthy individuals and you have things going on and opinions and thoughts and things that you're interested in exploring and preferences, oh, it's that's given me all the material I need to talk about with my wife. <laughs> well, Jeff, that's so good. And I feel like I love what you're saying because I feel like I thought we will hit 31 years of marriage here in just a, a month or so. Awesome. And, and awesome. I, and I, but it's the last even few that the more yeah. that there is that differentiation, my wife dress a little bit more stylish. She might wear a little more jewelry or things that I know that in a less mature version of that, I, I, I talk to guys all the time. We're like, well, geez, well, why, why are you wearing that versus a, uh, Oh man, I love this. Tell me more. Like, tell, tell me, me, tell more. me. That's right. Oh, and, and it breaks my heart to think if there was a part of her that felt like she can't be herself because the fear of, well, I don't know. I don't know if Tony's going to like it or not. And, and that's that part where I feel like people don't even know what that looks like to say, oh, okay, this is different, but tell me more not, well, this is different. What, what's this all about? And right, it's a whole different energy your partner as an individual. Yeah, and that yeah. is just, and I think we get married. I, I know I did a, a lot of couples get married because of how that person makes you feel. Yeah. Like we, we talk about it like, oh, they're amazing. Cause they make, they make me feel so loved or me, 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 <laughs> egocentric. But yeah, I think, I think mature love is really, you know, it's like we do with our kids. Like we don't want them to just be like carbon copies of us. We want to really mm-hmm. get to know them and figure out what their journey is. And I just feel honored that my wife wants to take her journey with me. 
Oh, that's know? so good. That's right? so good. Yeah. You chose me to have it with. It's pretty awesome. No, that, thank you for the lab. Now, like I know what our next topic will be. I'd love to, to dip, let's go deep into differences in marriage or differentiation next time with spouses yeah. or mature relationships. I could talk to you about that all day too. I love that. Oh, I really do. I do. Yeah. Okay. This was better than I even imagined, Jeff. So thank you so much. And then, Hell so yeah, it's I, awesome. it is, I want people to go take your course. So tell them where to go. That always sounds funny to me. Tell them where to go, Jeff. Tell them, <laughs> tell them where to get your course. And then that uh, you've been very kind to give my, my people, my people a code. So yeah. Where do they go? Yeah. I'm offering, I, I definitely want your, your listeners to to access the course and, and I, there's a 15% off coupon, virtual couch, 15, virtual couch, 15. Thank you. Virtual couch. Just put that in at check-in and save you 15% on the course. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a 12 week course. It one lesson or one module per week. And there's like four or five, three or four lessons inside each module with videos and worksheets. And, and then as part of the course, I, I offer a, a one year question answer live monthly webinar with me where you can get on and That's ask good. questions and connect with me and, and get additional support. Cause I know it takes longer than 12 weeks. I just do the lessons over 12 weeks and then you can have a year to kind of work things out and get, get support. But yeah, you can just go on my website, jeffstewart.com. If you don't know how to spell my name, which is really hard to spell, you can just yeah. go to from crisis to connection. That's another website and, and you'll okay. see it on there under courses. Yep. When I'll have, I'll have links to everything too. And I really Perfect. do mean it. The, the, I, I don't, I don't know if you've gotten a lot of feedback, but I now point people who, who are struggling with faith. We didn't even talk about that, but that's what we, I loved talking with you about that. We, we covered stages of faith. We covered faith journeys. We covered, so I've been pointing people that are coming to me for that to your podcast, because I just, I appreciated your, you've been answering all the questions amazing here, but you're, you're an amazing interviewer as well. And you've been getting a lot of pretty darn amazing guests on your podcast as well. So I highly recommend that too. Yeah, no, it's, it's fun. I love podcasting. Yeah. So we will do it again soon. Okay. I look right? forward to it, man. And Thank I cannot believe kid therapy, communication degrees, <laughs> the whole thing. It just, I don't know what we'll find out next, but I, I can't wait. So, all right, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks, honey. Okay. I'm going to hang up, but hang on here. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most
existence don't explode 